You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And we sort of got twisted around just a little bit. Not much, but a little bit. But that's okay. We just gave you a preview of what's coming. And that's going to be a Jody right after we take out a, a moment for of silence and think about our brothers and sisters that have given the ultimate or in need of prayer. And ask you to join me in thinking about our service folks our present past our veterans and our present serving military and also our first responders and just one minute and we'll be back with philip forsberg and talking about desert shield and desert storm Thank you. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, if you go to our website, we have the J. Roy Ritchie Memorial, and it's uh, Veterans Praying for Veterans. And if you have a veteran or you are a veteran and uh, feel the need for prayer, just let us know and we'll add you to the list. And uh, we appreciate it and appreciate all of the veterans that have joined into this. So, with that being said, let's do my favorite singing. It's not over. It's not over. So put your weapon next to mine. So put your weapon next to mine. Hey, right on down the road. Hey, right on down the line. Okay, that's probably about enough of that. And uh, I'm sorry, folks, I may have picked the wrong cadence call this time, but we'll get it right next time. And uh, Phil, how are you doing this morning? I'm all right, uh, David. Uh, I did contract uh, the COVID-19 virus uh, last week, but uh, I'm really uh, healing up pretty good. Well, good. I, I'm sorry to hear that uh, you got it. Uh, had you, I assume you hadn't had the vaccination yet. Nope. Uh, I didn't meet any of the criteria for that and uh, waiting for them to get to me, but the virus got to me first. It's all right. I'm on the mend. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, 
uh, we uh, we sort of had to take a little break last week, and which was fine. I, I'm just glad that you're feeling good now. That's that's the most important thing. So, yep. with that being said, uh, Phil had a great idea, and I think uh, we're going to uh, pursue it. And that is that we're going to do a little history class, and uh, actually Phil's going to do a lot more of the history class than I am, but uh, it's amazing, and this is why we're doing the show, it's amazing the number of folks that don't know why we were in the Middle East, what we were doing there, don't remember Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and that's exactly why we do the show, because these folks that raised their hand and then went to Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, and go. the list goes on and on. There was a reason for it, and there was a troublemaker that started all of this, and um, we finally put him to rest, but um, Phil, you want to start and just give a, a sort of a brief overview, and then we'll come back and start asking you some questions about it. All right. Well, um, you know, I mean, each each war kind of brief, uh, spawns the next war after it. But uh, you go back to you know World War One and the, the the end of the Ottoman Empire and how they uh, after the First World War they carved up uh, the Middle East into various sections and uh, made whole new countries that never existed before. Well. Um, you know, probably one of our best uh, allies in the Middle East uh, in the 1970s was uh, Iran and uh, was a very westernized nation. Uh, and, of course, they had their revolution and that uh, uh, got hijacked by the uh, Islamic extremists. And uh, so... <clears throat> We uh, found ourselves uh, at great enmity with the uh, with Iran or the, the folks who were ruling Iran at the time, and so uh, we uh, <clears throat> we had uh, Iraq was on our list of uh, states that sponsor terrorism, so they were on our bad boy list uh, starting in 1979, and. Uh, <clears throat> When they got into a conflict with uh, with Iran, uh, well, <clears throat> it became uh, expedient for us to take Iraq off of the uh, the bad boy list, and uh, and <clears throat> although we were aware of their state sponsorship of terrorism, we uh, sort of uh, made accommodation for that, and uh, so that. Uh, Iran wouldn't prevail in the in that region because they could have taken over all the vast uh, resources there, oil specifically. Um, and so uh, there was a time back in uh, 1987 where uh, we were, uh, my unit was uh, notified that we might have to go to the Persian Gulf uh to uh, to counteract some of the Iranian speedboats that were disrupting oil shipments in the in that region, uh, 
it never materialized. I thought it was interesting because at that time we would have been supporting uh, Saddam Hussein in Iraq in their effort against Iran. But uh, anyway, uh, as time progressed, uh, Saddam uh, began to bully uh, the people of Kuwait and the government of Kuwait, uh, telling them that they're, uh, they were producing too much oil and they were ruining uh, the price uh, that they could get by uh, pumping too much oil. And uh, Kuwait didn't really, uh, didn't want to play ball with Saddam. And so uh, he, under the pretext that uh, Kuwait was uh, some rightful province of Iraq, uh, on the 2nd of August of 1990, uh, Saddam went and uh, invaded Iraq, and they were uh, they were pretty brutal. Uh, so uh, the United States quickly, uh, you know, seeing the situation, realized that uh, you know one short drive south from uh, Kuwait, and uh, Saddam would be uh, sitting on something like a third of the oil in the region. So, uh, uh, you know, the United States quickly got together with uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, the UK and uh, got troops in there uh, to protect Saudi Arabia. And uh, so that's kind of where how we wound up there. Um, the, uh, you know, the reason I went was because I got orders. I was in a unit that got ordered to go, and so... They don't ask, they tell, correct? Say again? They don't ask, they tell. Right, yeah. They, they pay you every month. Um, you don't have to ask for your pay, they pay it, but when they say go, you got to go. Uh, Phil, let me ask you something, and, and as long as we're doing a little bit of a history class of sorts, uh, I remember... And I was, uh, I can't even remember off the top of my head, but I remember the Shah of Iran. We had a very good relationship with him, and then he wound up uh, dying of cancer in the States, right? He did, yeah. He, he uh, went to Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Shah was friendly with us but he was you know true to the the style of things uh, in that region of the world he was pretty brutal about maintaining control of this country so and, did uh, you know like many other despots before him uh, people got tired of him enough to uh, want him out when he when he got sick why you know and left the country or uh, those who uh, wanted him gone saw that as their opportunity to uh, to take advantage. But uh, and was this was this the door opener for the Ayatollah Khomeini? Well, yeah, and it, you know it's it's the case with a, a lot of different uh, uh, political upheaval. Uh, you know, when when there's that uh, uncertainty of who's going to be in control. Uh, sometimes some bad actors can step in and, and hijack the, the whole revolution. And, of course, that's what happened uh, in, uh, in Iran. And uh, as, uh, I don't know, 
if there are folks out there listening that don't recall, but they uh, <clears throat> they invaded our embassy in Tehran and uh, took hostages, and uh, it was uh, it was a very uh, bad time. And I'll tell you honestly, David, I've I've spoken to folks uh, in the Middle East who are from Iran, and uh, they tell me without any hesitation that, uh, of course, we weren't in Iran at the time, but they do not like their government now, um, and they they would welcome a change. You know, we, we had an opportunity under the previous administration, and they didn't, or two previous administrations, I'm sorry, under the Obama-Biden administration, and uh, we, we had the opportunity to support... Uh, a coup, support a, a turnover of power in Iran, and we didn't take it. No, uh, you know, that's a kind of a lost opportunity there. But, uh, you know, those, those people, well, they're going to have to get to the point where they're tired enough of their current regime and uh, do a regime change there as well. Well, you know, what I look at was under the Shah, particularly, uh, how westernized Iran became. Um, you know, they, they got away from some of the the normal Arab type of clothing. They were wearing western clothes. Uh, western not being cowboy clothes, but western style <laughs> clothes. And uh, I don't know, there might have been some Levi's over there. Who knows? Maybe even oh, some yeah. boots. But... Uh, you know, they they wanted to be associated with us as opposed to the Muslim side of it, in my yeah. opinion. You know, the people just want to live, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so these people, um, what can I say? Uh, at the time, there were uh, many Americans who would go on vacation uh, in Iran, uh, I understand it's a very beautiful country. Uh, most of I've seen it around from the air. It's been kind of, well, kind of rocky and dusty. But um, I understand there's some very beautiful parts to it. And, uh, you know, uh, people would go there on vacation. You can go skiing in Iran. There's all sorts of, uh, you know, things to attract folks. I uh, I haven't seen it in very many uh, travel log publications, but you know uh, it might be a little dangerous even at the present. But uh, yeah, perhaps one day. One day, yeah. Uh, so we were okay. So Saddam invades Kuwait, and Bush realizes we have to do something, and I guess. You, or I have to give Bush credit for being able to put together quite an impressive coalition. It was a good coalition. Uh, there was basically consensus. Uh, you know, at the time, uh, if you'll recall, we still had the Soviet Union to contend with, and uh, they tried to be the peace brokers in all of this basically trying to give some cover uh, to Saddam for what he had done and uh, <clears throat> didn't go too well Saddam was not uh, allowing himself to be handled very well 
by the uh, the Soviets. So uh, it came down to he he couldn't back down. Uh, and you know, I mean, he's a brutal dictator, and if you if you ever back down, you're subject to uh, losing your kingdom, and uh, that's eventually what happened to him. And, you know, you have to wonder about the man's uh, mental stability, thinking that everybody was going to sit back and do nothing. And, uh, you know, instead of a happy dictator settling for what he already had, which was quite a bit, uh, he thought he ought to have Kuwaiti as well. And... uh, I just, you know, I I can't get into the guy's head at all. And uh, he uh, ticked off the wrong folks. Yeah, that was a, you know, I can recall uh, our Secretary of State at the time was James Baker. And, uh, you know, when he issued his ultimatum for uh, Saddam to get out by the 15th of January, um get out of Kuwait, withdraw all his troops. Uh, he, he made this statement that, uh, you know, you're, uh, up until now, you've made a series of, of bad decisions. Uh, and he said, uh, I recommend that you don't make any more bad decisions because they're going to have great consequences and be quite costly to you if you make any more uh, miscalculations. And so, uh, of course, it was. You know, uh, a king or dictator or whatever that won't listen to his advisor advisors is a fool. And uh, I think that's what uh, the world realized that Saddam Hussein was a fool, and uh, he acted like one and. And certainly uh, was one to think that he could uh, tangle with the power of the UK and the United States, particularly the United States. And uh, he he didn't have a clue what was about to come to him. In my yeah. opinion, you know, we had uh, we had been practicing as long as I had been in the army, and even before when I was commissioned in 1982, we had been uh, preparing to uh, do battle with, with the Soviet Union, uh, you know, extremely formidable uh, army, and uh, uh, Saddam just kind of happened to be there when we were all trained up at our peak and ready to go, and uh, it was, it was a very costly miscalculation for him and uh, I don't know if, if people remember the horrible things that the Iraqi troops had done uh, in uh, in Kuwait had gone in and uh, into people's homes murdered men and, and raped women and tossed babies out of windows and uh, just uh, just horrible horrible uh, medieval kind of things that uh, w- it was very hard to stomach, you know, people doing that kind of thing. So, 
it didn't make us uh, the least bit uh, apprehensive going and cleaning their clock. <laughs> you know, you you wonder, and and they're still doing it to a degree in in the Middle East, but. You wonder, we saw this first, I think, in uh, particularly in Vietnam, uh, how one human can be so inhumane to another human. And uh, that was, I think, Nam was our really first example of that. And then, uh, you know, Iraqis, uh, Afghanis, uh, they're still doing it. And uh, they have no value whatsoever of life, I suppose. Would you sum it up like that? Well, you know, I'm not going to paint the whole population with a broad brush like that, but I will say that, uh, you know, without a a system of, uh, of government and rule of law like you have in a republic, um, it, it lends itself to that kind of opportunism and violence and uh, you know uh, it's just wrong During the time that you were there what was the uh, on the other side of the fence what was their communications like as far as public communications Uh, I assume it was state run television, state run radio or whatever (laughs) but uh, did they have any um, communications? You know, we didn't get a lot of news from Iraq. That, I mean, you know, if you remember at the time, Bernard Shaw from CNN was uh, staying in a, a hotel right there in Baghdad, and he was broadcasting, you know, all the air defense artillery going up when our uh, folks would be flying over and dropping ordnance. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the one, there was one radio station uh, that... Uh, Saddam had uh, it was an AM radio station and because of our uh, equipment on board our aircraft we were able to listen to it if if we tried to tune it in back in the uh, back down around Damam where my tent was uh, our uh, PSYOPs people would uh, jam the the transmissions of uh, of this, but it was called the Voice of Peace from Baghdad, <laughs> and uh, of course, you know, with our direction finding radios, we, we located it wasn't in Baghdad; it was in Kuwait City, and uh, you know, uh, I could listen to it when I went out into the mission area uh, uh, in my aircraft. I could listen to it, and uh, I found it kind of amusing uh, what they thought would would work against Americans. They would, they would get a copy of uh, somebody's uh, orders uh, from the National Guard or something that had been sent over there, and uh, they would announce names, you know, people, you know, chief warrant officer so-and-so from the Indiana National Guard, uh, and they would uh, say, they would, you know, I mean, tell us stupid things like, you know, you will only die out here in the desert. You'll melt like sugar. This is not a place for you. Uh, why do you want to be our enemy? We do not want to be your enemy. Uh, you know, your uh, your wife and your girlfriends are, uh, you know, sleeping with Tom Cruise and, 
you know, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and, and our rivers will run with your blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it didn't, didn't have a very good effect. I have a friend uh, who uh, I had gone to uh, Intel school with, and he was, uh, he was assigned to psychological uh, operations outfit, and he gave me a gift of a, a little cassette recording of uh, the voice of peace from Baghdad. <laughs> uh, it, uh, so I've played every once in a while. It's funny to listen to. You know, what do you think the reaction, or do you did you have any uh, uh, ability to to talk to any of the Iraqis, civilian Iraqis, and what they thought of his stupidity of invading Kuwait, or did he have them so mind brainwashed that uh, they thought it was great? The, uh, no, I, I don't, the, the number of people who thought it was really great, uh, and he was a great leader or whatever, probably pretty small, but, you know, you wind up, what are you going to do? I mean, they, they drafted, you know, hundreds of thousands of, uh, you know, uh, military aged men, uh, they couldn't say anything, uh, and the, uh, not you know, and keep their there, head. There were huh? certain like the, his Republican guards units. They were, you know, they had the best uh, Soviet equipment they could get from export, and uh, you know they had a lot of attitude and pride. But uh, in the end, I can recall they were uh, they put all their T seventy two tanks on uh, low boy uh, trailers, and uh, they were driving them back to Baghdad as fast as they could so they'd still have some uh, some firepower. I believe uh, Barry McCaffrey was the commander of the 24th Infantry Division at the time, and uh, he had come under, uh, somebody was talking about prosecuting him under war crimes because his... Uh, his soldiers were told, your limit of your advance is, uh, is this road... Uh, to Basra, and so they they dug in just uh, you know south of that road. And as the uh, as the Iraqis were lowballing their uh, their tanks back to Baghdad, they drive them down this highway. And Twenty Fourth Infantry Division tankers were uh, with their M1 tanks were shooting these T72 tanks <laughs> uh, right out the trailers they were on. Uh, but uh, they didn't go past their advance, the limit of their advance. <laughs> with that, let, let everybody think about that, and we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Phil right after this. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. 
I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we do thank you and appreciate you listening and uh, the generosity uh of a lot of you folks, we certainly appreciate. And uh, we have Phil on, and uh, Phil is sort of, uh, this is Phil's spot, as a matter of fact, Phil Forsberg. And uh, we appreciate all his information on Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And we don't want anybody to forget Desert Shield and Desert Storm or any of the wars that uh, we've been involved in and where men and women have given the ultimate sacrifice or come back wounded or whatever the case might be. But we always want to think of our veterans and also our first responders. And we look to them to protect us day in and day out. And uh, we do support Blue Lives Matter. And uh, we uh, want you to think about that as well. And and always consider what they go through to protect us, as did the military and so many other situations. So, Phil, back to uh, the history lesson that you're giving us today. Uh, what else did you? What else do you feel was an important point or uh, action taken by Iraq or against Iraq? Uh, <clears throat> you know, we had some uh, information that. Uh, the Iraqis were very terrified of uh, our Marines. The Marines, because they they felt, or they had some inkling that uh, they were going to take uh, revenge uh, on Iraq for the uh, bombing of the uh, Marine barracks in uh, uh, in Lebanon, in Beirut, uh, that occurred in uh, I think 1983. Um, of course, most of these Marines uh, that were with me over there didn't, uh, you know, hadn't been in the Marines in 1983. And, you know, they were just like me doing what they were told to do. Uh, but we kind of seized on that idea that uh, they were terrified of the Marines. Their Marines, their, their scenario went that the Marines were going to do an amphibious landing uh, in in Kuwait City, and uh, so we had the whole uh, defense of Kuwait City kind of facing out into the Gulf, uh, and uh, I think they used a couple of SEAL teams to simulate uh, a, a Marine amphibious landing there. Meanwhile, the Marines just came up the coast, uh, and uh, I think the 
first and second divisions of the Marines, and uh, they were uh, reinforced by uh, one brigade of the Second Armored Division uh, that had come out of Fort Hood, Texas, with me. Uh, and uh, these guys uh, went up and, and uh, did a fantastic job while everybody's facing out toward the ocean. They come up behind them. Uh, did a real good job with that. Next uh, was uh, to the west of that was uh, a coalition of uh, of Arab forces. Uh, Egypt and Syria had sent forces, uh, and then uh, to the west of that was Seventh uh, Seventh uh, U.S. Corps uh, that had come out of Germany. Uh, that was commanded by General Franks, and then. Uh, and then west of that was 18th Corps, which was commanded by uh, General Gary Luck, who uh, once punched me in the stomach during Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. Actually, Desert Shield. Anyway, an interesting story. He was a, he was a rare kind of guy. But, uh, yeah, uh, so they made this big wheel. And, uh, of course, uh, 18th Corps headquarters and most of their forces had been over toward the that uh, coast uh, of the Gulf, and then uh, in very short order, the whole corps swung out way out to the west in this big wagon wheel thing. And, you know, uh, after the uh, after the ground forces of Iraq were pretty well pummeled by our uh, preparatory air attacks, uh, they went in. Uh, you know, the 101st Airborne Division, those guys had, uh, had jumped into Normandy, well, the descendants of them, they, they went and they put uh, an entire division, the 101st uh, was in the rear area of, uh, of the Iraqi forces uh, in about two hours, a uh, whole division in their rear area. Okay, uh, Phil, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to get back to something you said a little bit earlier, and that was the fear of the Iraqis of the Marines. And would you say they were superstitious? And if so, I didn't know Muslims were superstitious. <laughs> well, I think any people group, you know, could be uh, uh, could have their superstitions, but uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, they sort of fed on their own fears, and it it sort of, uh, you know. I know I mean, I'd be scared to death if I saw a bunch of Marines coming towards me, but I didn't know that uh, the Muslims would. <laughs> well, you know, I guess they felt that they were going to bear the revenge for, for the Beirut bombing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. The other question I have is uh, the the I believe at the time it was called the end end a run end around and yeah. uh, was was this all Schwarzkopf or was this his team or whose brainstorm was this? Uh, well, General Schwarzkopf was a great leader, and uh, I only met him uh, one time, and that was uh, many years after Desert Storm. In, uh, in Tampa, he was retired, uh, and I had the privilege of telling him that I had supported him and, and 
thanked him for his leadership. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I can't tell you who come up with it. Probably input from all of his commanders. Uh, probably, uh, you know, some strategic planning folks from the Pentagon. You know, they just, uh, uh, how does a plan develop? I don't know. But, uh, the, uh, it, it sure works. It impressed me. <laughs> and, and it impressed the Iraqis, I would imagine, and as they were lifting their hands. Yes, yes. I mean, they weren't all surrendering. Um, you know, uh, we heard uh, reports of, uh, I think it was uh, 1st Cavalry Division had come up on a, on a bunker and, uh, with their engineers, and the, uh, the Iraqis were, I guess they thought they were going to do some sort of, uh, like a uh, Okinawa defense, uh, you got to come in and root me out or whatever. And uh, they just had a translator with a bullhorn tell them, you know, you got five minutes to come out. And uh, when they they refused to come out, they just took their bulldozers and, you know, just eradicated the bunker and kind of buried these guys alive in there. And so, you know, you were, you were told to come out. And uh, I'm not risking any more folks. So say goodnight, Gracie. Yeah, yeah, these are stories that the general public never hears and is certainly not reported by the mainstream fake news media. But uh and we even had that during this time period of of uh less than substantial honest reporting in my opinion. And uh well, you know, they they built as I recall and uh they built Iraqi up, and Saddam Hussein is some kind of that he was a great leader, and they had such a great military, and it was going to be a a tough battle to take back Kuwait. And the toughest part of it was putting out the oil well fires, wasn't it? Uh, well, you know, I don't want to minimize the the efforts of those uh, who. Uh, who went in and, and did some very fantastic things on the ground. <coughs> um, but uh, uh, it was, uh, you know, there we had folks lose their lives there and folks get pretty well injured. And uh, just, uh, you know, it, it's sad. Uh, and it, you know, I, I feel bad for the for the Iraqis who didn't want to be there. Uh, those who had, uh, you know, uh, found themselves in that position. There was a one fella who had uh, surrendered to our forces wearing a Chicago Cubs cap, and he said that he'd been waiting. He he'd gone to visit his family in Iraq. Uh, he had emigrated to the states years earlier, had been raised in the States, but he went back to visit family and found himself conscripted into this army, and uh, he was just, I guess he had just told all his comrades, uh, how about uh, hunker down with me, and 
I'll, I'll help you surrender to the Americans when they get here. And so he did. It's amazing. Uh, let me ask, and I, I, I should be more knowledgeable, and I'm just not, but uh, like with Vietnam and Johns Creek and the healing wall there, and then uh, obviously the the uh, wall in Washington D.C. Do you know uh, how or have they memorialized uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm in any way? I I really don't know. I haven't I haven't seen a memorial to it. I'm I'm sure there's something out there. We uh we did get quite a a welcome home, and you know, in a lot of ways, I sort of uh, was sad about that because I felt like the American people were trying to make up for uh, for what had been uh, perpetrated against our Vietnam vets when they came home, uh, and uh, you know, I got to tell you, those those guys that served in Vietnam were my heroes, and uh, they. Basically, they showed us how to serve, and so I was very, very, uh, you know, uh, kind of humbled when I was getting all this glory lauded on us. Uh, just, you know, and uh, the Vietnam guys that, that came and shook my hand and said good job, and uh, I had to tell each one of them that uh, you know we were we were standing on their shoulders. Well, you know, with that being said, I, I would like to point out the fact that we work very closely with Rick White, who is, I should say, is Colonel Rick White, who is retired, but he's the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And I know that some of the Desert Shield and Desert Storm people have been inducted or will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you're a civilian or just live in Atlanta or traveling to Atlanta, be sure and put the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame on your to-do list while you're here. And also, as I mentioned, uh, Johns Creek has the the uh, healing wall that um, is a replica of the Vietnam Wall in Washington, D.C. that traveled all over the United States uh, giving closure to a number of people. And uh, Johns Creek made a area available in, uh, or I sh- yeah, Johns Creek, and then the uh, Johns Creek Veteran Association worked with the city uh, to make an area in Newtown Park the permanent home of the healing walls. So uh, be sure and go out and see that as well. But... I I guess I'm not sure who I'll call, but I'm going to call somebody and find out if there is or if there are plans in D.C. for any kind of uh, memorial to the folks who fought in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. I don't know. Well, thanks. Uh, and, you know, uh, anybody out there who is listening that uh, has served whether it's uh, in Desert Storm or Desert Shield or uh, Vietnam or any of our nation's wars, or if you've served, you know, and never never heard a shot fired in anger, but you wore the uniform, uh, if you have uh, issues uh, that you'd like to be to see 
if there's help for you, the Veterans Administration has quite a few benefits for veterans, but uh, unfortunately, they don't—they uh, don't have the manpower really to, to advertise what's available to veterans, and a lot of veterans don't know what's available. And I would highly encourage anybody who uh, wants to find out more about their the benefits they may have earned through their service to contact uh, a service officer from the Disabled American Veterans or the uh, Veterans of Foreign Wars or the American Legion, just call them in your local chapter and ask for a, uh, to speak to a service officer and uh, they'll counsel with you, tell you what's available to you. There's all sorts of things going on. Let's, uh, with that, let's take a break and we'll be back with Phil Forsberg right after this. Hi, this is Rocky Blair former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. And I want to add one little footnote or sidebar to this is that... Uh, Rocky Blyer has to be one of the nicest guys in the world. And uh, he does the spots and will be doing more spots for us. And uh, who knows, he may even be doing a show for us before long. But uh, he is just absolutely fantastic and the uh, uh, nicest guy in the world to work with. And uh, I just want to thank him personally for all he does. And he uh, is very much a hero unto himself. They said he'd never walk again after he was injured in Vietnam. And uh, not only did he walk again, he ran again and and won four Super Bowl rings with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he is quite a story unto himself. And uh, he's... What can I say? He's just a nice guy, and uh, we appreciate his working with us, and uh, we'll be back after this one final last message. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on America's Web Radio with uh, 
Phil Forsberg that served in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And, Phil, it's always a delight to talk to you every Monday. And, you know, I guess I must be one of the luckiest guys in the world in that we do very few shows that, and with folks like you coming on to, to do the shows and be interviewed and talk about your experiences, that I don't learn something. And, uh, I certainly want to salute you and thank you for serving and serving in Desert Storm and Desert, Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And also, we also like to salute the families that are, I don't want to say they are left behind, but in some ways they're serving just as much as the spouse the other spouse or the other member of the family is serving and being deployed affects everybody in a family cousins brothers sisters wives husbands whatever the case might be and parents and uh it's a big thing to be deployed no matter where you're going it's it's not and i say a big thing that's not the right word it's uh it's just big, and it affects a lot of people. So thank you for your service, Phil. Well, you're quite welcome. Um, it was my honor to uh, to have served, and uh, I tried to be worthy of the paycheck every day. Well, they weren't paying enough back then, I, that's for sure. <laughs> but a lot of that has changed, and uh, as we've said in the past on this show and many other shows, that... If you're a graduating high school senior or college graduate, whatever the case might be, and you haven't decided what you want to do with the rest of your life, please check out the military because I can promise you some branch of the military is your cup of tea. They have exactly what you want to do, and there's nothing better on a resume than to say, I served in the Army, Navy, whatever, and uh, got an honorable discharge. And at that point, that HR person knows, one, that you can be counted on to do your job, two, that you show leadership, and three, that you don't mind hard work. Because no matter what you come out as, whatever rank it is, at some point, You've done some very hard work, and uh, we want to we support the military in all shape, forms, and fashions, and hope. And, you know, let me ask you, we've never talked about this, I don't think, Phil, but I, I was right on the cusp of, of uh, when they were doing away with the draft and going to the lottery system, and then the all-volunteer military. I think today our volunteer military is the without question the best in the world uh, the cream of the crop and it doesn't matter what kind of education you have but the cream of the crop volunteer to serve their flag and country how do you feel about uh, it <clears throat> I, I do agree uh, I was a volunteer of course myself uh, being a commissioned officer but the uh, the uh, folks, you know, in, in World War II, as we've said before, you know, 70% of those guys were drafted. In Vietnam, 30% were drafted. Today, nobody's drafted. And uh, they're just, uh, 
you know, I, I marvel at the quality of folks that we get. And, uh, you know, uh, back when I was a, a young captain, the, uh, there were some folks would tell me, oh, I think service is great. I think everybody, you know, everybody graduating high school ought to be compelled to do two years of service. And uh, I just had to stop them and say, no, uh, I, I don't really agree with you because uh, I, you know, this is this is not a social experiment. This is a defense of our nation, and I don't need your your discipline problems or your parenting failures. I want your athletes and your scholars and your Eagle Scouts. You know, and anybody that doesn't want to be there, I don't want them around me when I'm doing a very, very important and dangerous job. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. And this is something that I think is instilled, and I can only uh, speak from my limited um, term, but, you know, the, the biggest point, I think, from the Army standpoint... I can't address the Navy, but the Army and Marines is the fact that somebody has your back and somebody and somebody's counting you on you to have their back. And that's ingrained from day one till you know if if you're in basic and you haven't quite gotten your stuff together and a buddy helps you that's still having your back because it's all for one and one for all in the military. Yeah, and, uh, you know, not to leave out the Navy, but, you know, I mean, that's how, why they call each other shipmate uh, because, you know, one person can't run the ship, right? You know, it takes people with a whole different set of skills to do one part and another part, and you just just can't know it all and you can't be in all in one place every every place you need to be at once it, it takes a team to run a ship uh, or even a boat absolutely and uh, I apologize for not being better versed on the Navy but uh, you're absolutely right uh, I never got my sea legs I guess they'd say well I, I've never been to sea with the Navy I've served with uh, some naval folks for a while my dad was a was a tin can sailor uh he was a sonarman in the pacific during the second world war well, uh, yours and and my dad was uh was in the navy as a captain in the navy as well during world war ii and uh, and served in the pacific and as it turned out <laughs> i guess a lot of things changed and a lot of things didn't change but uh he went in as one thing and came down came out as another and uh that other thing was that uh he he was taken from intel because of his background in construction and uh help at towards the end of well it was the end of the war helped set up uh radio tokyo and uh you know it's just amazing how the military sneaks in on you and knows things and realizes things about you that you may have not have even known yourself. But that that 201 file is pretty big. 
I guess you've you've been in, or you were in, long after I was. But uh, why? What has the computer done to the two hundred one files? Uh, well, I guess uh, they've they've kind of automated all sorts of parts of it so that folks uh, will, uh, you know, can you can fill in the blocks pretty easily. There's a lot, uh, you know, when you and I were in, at least when I first came in, David, uh, we used carbon paper, had a lot of textiles. Yep. uh, (laughs) Had uh, onion skin uh, between there. You know, each copy of your orders was was precious. But you go, come report to a new station, everybody needs 10 copies of your orders, you know. You only have 25. Sir, uh, sir, you're talking to, you're preaching to the choir. I was a company clerk. (laughs) So. So, paper cuts. Yep. So, uh, you know, even even officers didn't really want to upset the company clerk. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Not that we would do anything maliciously, but, gee, I can't find your paperwork. Yeah, you never know when you're going to need a favor, right? Yeah, the uh, the dog must have eaten it. I don't know, but no, it was uh, I. I I only have one regret, and that is that I didn't stay in, and uh, I I should have, and and uh, you know, like everybody else, we ask and we talk about this is that. You know, if you were given the opportunity, or if the if the country called again, would you go in again? And everybody I talked to, you know, they'd they'd beat their way to the door. They would be in in a heartbeat. If my nation needs me, I'm there. Yep, and that's the, you know, that's the theme of of anybody that served. I think. And uh, it's a shame that, and I don't know where we've gone wrong other than potentially the schools, but uh, it's a shame that everybody doesn't realize that and doesn't realize how important our military and our Constitution is. And it's it's just incredible. And I'm, I'm concerned that we're going to see some times in the near future that we'll at least throw up some questions. But with that being said, Phil, i got to thank you again, sir, and uh, look forward to chatting next week. And we'll keep people, we'll keep reminding people about Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Thank you, sir. Thank you, David. Good day. Good day. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.